So we're beginning our second week of peace and quiet. And so last week, if you remember, what I talked about was more about that leading a peaceful and quiet life. How we are as believers to lead a peaceful and quiet life. And it all starts out with, as Paul said, prayer. Right? Just pray. And we talked a lot about that last week. But also, he mentioned about how we're supposed to be able to preach the gospel too, right? It's not just our words and preaching the word, but it's also through our actions. So by doing those two things, without anger and without quarreling, then we're able to lead people into a peaceful and quiet life. So before I get into week two, this is our final week before we move into a new series next month. I want to read this passage out of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or deceit, and in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the, in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And I just ask that as I open my mouth today, let these words be your words. Let the heart, the minds, the ears of those that are in here open up and receive your word this morning, Father. I thank you for those also watching online that they're going to hear this loud and clear so that we can move forward in peace and quiet. Father, I thank you for this and we can have it done. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you're taking notes today, this is what I want you to write down. I want you to write down that peace and quiet will come. It's dependent upon how you walk in the authority that God has given you. Peace and quiet in your life is determined by how you walk in the authority that God has given you. And this week, what I want to focus on is not necessarily our own peace and quiet and how we experience that, but how people around us can experience that peace and quiet. And it all goes back to the authority that we have in Christ Jesus. So what is the word authority? So I was prompted by God to go to another book that's quite large, not the Bible, another large book called the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. So here's authority. Definition of authority is this. There's two parts. Persons in command, specifically, so that's a traditional type of authority. And the second part is power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. That is what I would call an influential type of authority. When I reported to my first unit in the Army, I had the pleasure of being a platoon leader for a maintenance facility. And I had two other lieutenants 
that had reported some months before, and they were over other things, and they were from a specific school, so they thought they kind of walked on water a little bit. They were West Point grads. A little bit of a General MacArthur mentality. God bless. They were my brothers and arms, okay? But the one thing that I learned from BMI, where I went to school, was that when you lead people, yes, you're in position. You wear the rank. You're going to get saluted. They're going to salute the rank. But what you want to do is lead them from a place of influence, not just based on your position as an officer. And, and not to knock on one side, okay, I'm not watching. But there was a little bit of that mentality with that. It was, I went to school here, I had an attitude, and I am the officer that you were the enlisted, so you do what I tell you to do. What I did, and I had some great non commissioned officers, I had some great sergeants, I had some warrant officers that were. Assigned to me, and they kind of took their way. They showed me the ropes, and what I learned really was, in order for me to lead properly, in order for them to follow me into battle one day, I had to get down in the dirt with them. I found myself underneath trucks working on changing the oil, doing things like that with my my enlisted men. And I found myself going into the barracks and seeing how their living conditions were. Just checking up on it to make sure they're doing okay. There, there was this thing that, that was more powerful than my rank. It was the power of influence. Bringing their hearts and minds. Getting down in the mud with these people. We as believers, we look at the church right now, I think we have a little bit of positional authority. They were overdoing a whole lot more than influential. Jesus came off his throne. We just read that. Came off his throne and humbled himself to be like us. First part of being humble, but then to get down in the dirt with us and serve us. Didn't have to do that. He is God. So he wiped us off the face of the earth and started over. But didn't do that. To the point where he died on the cross, a thief's cross for us. His mission in God's kingdom is kind of on hold right now. We're in this age of grace between his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and then as we're looking forward to his return. But I think the church right now, we're not really operating in grace. We kind of look down our nose and say, you know what, we're Jesus believers. You're not. You think you're not. Or we think this way, and you think that way, but our way is better and right, and yours is not. So I'm not going to listen to you. We kind of have this high and mighty position. 
And if you haven't gotten it by now, I think what God is laying on me and what He wants to say through me to you is we got to quit being on this high horse, on this throne, and we got to humble ourselves like Jesus did and serve the people. We need to love them. We need to choose our battles. There's no way we're going to lead people to Jesus if we continue to fight the way we're fighting as the church. So what I'm going to do is I want to take you through a little bit, a little bit of Jesus' ministry. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can go to Matthew chapter 4. That's where I'm going to start. This is, a, this is the point where Jesus has been baptized. His father says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He's driven into the wilderness, goes through all those trials, four days, four nights against the devil, wins against the devil, comes out of that, chooses his disciples, and then starts ministry. This is what, what it says. Beginning in verse 23, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And he went through all Galilee teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. For his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those who afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and healed And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So here he is, starting his ministry in Galilee, based out of Capernaum. He's going around and he is loving people. Basically, he's getting down in the mud, in the dirt, with these people that are suffering, that are lepers, that are demon-possessed, that think differently than he did because they've been raised on, on Pharisaic law. And he is loving them. And what does it say? Verse 25. Great crowds follow him. You love people and you serve them. They're going to follow you. It's this influential authority that we have. And they follow him. And we're about to get into the Sermon of the Mount here in a minute. But think about it. People that think differently than him, they've decided that they're going to follow this man because he loved them first. So they go to this mountain, and it's still side along the Sea of Galilee, right outside the front. Jesus sits them down. In the crowd, he went up on a mountain, and he sat down with his disciples, came to him. This is in chapter 5. And he opened his mouth and taught them. So what did he teach them? Well, the very first thing he taught them to be attitudes. This is how we need to be. People that belong to the kingdom of God, this is how we need to be. And one of the things he says in Matthew chapter 5 is, Blessed are the peacemakers, peacemakers, for they 
shall be called sons of God. Now, this kind of peace that he's talking about is not the kind of peace that you're probably thinking. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk about what this means. There are places where we choose to fight. There are places where we draw the sword. Those places is really more than the gospel. That's where we draw the sword. It's the gospel. Not other things. Blessed are the peacemakers. He goes on down to Matthew chapter 5. You want to follow along? This is not going to be on the screen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? He goes on further and says, You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are very salty as the church right now, in the wrong way. You ever heard the phrase, You're salty? We have not lost our saltiness. We're very salty. Our life. Is shining sometimes in the wrong way by bringing attention on ourselves. Can I just be honest with you guys? I'm tired of social media. The saltiness and the light that's being shown and being sprinkled around, it's not what Jesus is talking about. It's not bringing fear, it's bringing division. It's not bringing light to darkness, it's bringing darkness. What it's doing. I'm not going to call out what I've been seeing, but it's disheartening. Because instead of attracting people to Jesus, we're pushing them away. And we need to wake up. He goes on and talks about how he's come to fulfill the law. He says, I have not come to abolish them, the law, but to fulfill them. In other words, He's coming to make our lives as believers actually more difficult than easy. How so, Pastor Jeff? Well, he's saying that, goes on further, if everyone is angry with his brother, they will be liable to judgment. In other words, he's talking about how just the fact that he is angry at our brother or sister is almost as culpable as murdering them. He's making it harder. He talks about love. He says, We have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, the action of doing adultery, committing adultery, is comparable to if you think lustfully after a woman. He moves on. He says, Love your enemies. Because I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Love your enemies. And all these things that I'm saying here are things he said to these people. They were hard things to say. Amen? They're even hard things to hear now. He didn't make it easier for us. He made it harder. He goes on in chapter 6. Talks about how the things that we need to be doing. We need to be giving to the needy. We need to be fasting. We need to be praying. We need to lay up treasures in heaven. We need to voice our political opinions on, on social media. 
We are not to be anxious. We are not, in chapter 7, he starts off, we are not to judge others. Judge not that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here's the picture, and I love this one. Probably out of everything else that he said, it's the golden rule. Or the ESV translation Bible says, Gold the golden rule. It's a subheading. He goes, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, you also do that. Wow. What you say, what you do to somebody should be exactly what you would expect from them saying to you. That is so hard in the climate that we're in right now. Isn't it? This goes back to being salt, light, loving your enemies. How just loving people? How about just using your authority that God has given you in an influential way that's going to change the thought of any and every behavior that's right on the website? Jesus is confirming that here. Goes on, and this will be on the screen. Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty-eight. Matthew seven, verse twenty-eight. And when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were what astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had what authority, and not as their scribes. In other words, I think we as a church, sometimes we get very Pharisaic. We get very Pharisee, Sadducee, scribe on people. And these people, great crowds, were willing to follow Jesus and sit and listen to some very hard things and welcome it. And were astonished by it. Because he loved them first before he brought them in. He used his authority to influence them versus using his position to feed into their heads. Because that's the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes did. And that's why there's so many people miserable. Because it's impossible to fill the law. And what Jesus is saying throughout what I just read, the Sermon on the Mount is saying it's impossible to do what I'm telling you to do, but you have me. Follow me. Read on in chapter 8. Well, I was covered four chapters in that book already. How about that? Go down to verse 5. This right here. Man, I mean, can I just set up how I, how I got this? I was out running. I don't know why. Know, and he kind of just gives me things. Where he was just like, look at the Romans and Germans. Did you do that story? It'll apply it'll, it'll what I want you to say on Sunday. Now, he didn't just say that to me, he said that's the impression that I'm going to okay? And so I looked, and so I read through the story. My goodness. You guys ready? Here we go. The faith of the centurion. So when he entered the tunnel, the centurion came forward to him, healing him. Lord, 
My servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. This is suffering here. This is a Roman centurion coming to Jesus. You cannot be more diametrically opposed. Roman centurion, all right? Man of war, brutal conqueror. Seeing some things, all he has done, some things. These are the emperor's God, and all the other Roman gods are his God. So you have the religious opposite end. Politically opposite end. But conquer you, oppress you, and make you part of the Roman Empire. And if you don't want to be a part of it, I'm going to kill all the men, take the women and children as slaves, burn down your village, and I'm going to bury it so it doesn't even look like it was even there. Total opposite of Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who loves people, serves people, uses his authority and power to influence them and not force it upon them. For some reason, this Roman centurion felt like he could go to Jesus. Verse 8. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under what? Authority. With soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does this. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I certainly understand positional authority. I'm pretty darn good at it. Somebody tells me what to do, I'm going to do it. If I tell somebody to do it, they're going to do it. Or else. He understood positional authority, but what attracted him to Jesus. Is his influence Because that is authority that he has never really seen before. And that attracted him to Jesus. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. This Roman centurion completely opposite Jesus in all ways. Give them what I know. 
How many of you have family members that want to come to your house right now? Or you won't go to theirs. Because the topics of discussion are not love, not encouraging, but suspicious. You pick up the sword to fight a battle that you don't need to be fighting. You know, we were coming on Saturday, some of you were like, oh, you're going to look at a flash. Yay. Well, guess what? If I'm doing things like Jesus with you, if I'm serving the community, if I'm serving my own family, if I'm out there and I'm praying for people, if I'm praying in the private of my secret place, my prayer closet, if I'm focusing on this word, I have a whole lot less time to do this. And worry about things that I really can't control. You guys, so much because we are in Christ. This glory, right? Yes, you're seated in heavenly places. Yes, you're joining us in the throne. Yes, you're sons and daughters of God. Yes, you're more than conquerors. Yes, you can do all things. Yes, own it. We should. But use it. And use that authority to love and influence people to serving them and encouraging them. Because Jesus told us to. I'm going to read one last passage. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them, that's the disciples, to him, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise what? Authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? Serve and give his life as a ransom for them. What I'm asking you as one person is, what I believe God is asking the church Catholic see to do is to win the hearts and minds the hearts and minds. The only way you're going to do that is to do some quiet. I've been transparent with you. I've I've learned this. I've learned this. I have not been perfect with this. Far from it, actually. I've learned this. So when we're coming together, we've got people to win to Jesus. Amen. We've got a community to serve. 